welcome to Church and Other Drugs. My name is Jim. Oh, thank you. I'm Brad. What were you about to say? My name is Brad. Uh, My name name is Jeff. Yeah. Uh, We're we're, we're throwing out A-list movie quotes, are we? Yeah. That are still very current. Uh, Yeah, that's that's circa 2008, my dog, my dude. (laughs) So what's up, man? Thanks. We're uh, I'm I'm calling Brad from Google Voice technology. Yeah, yeah. I'm in jail right now, and he called me. Tell me, tell oh. me, tell me why you're in jail. Well, funny story. All right, you're gonna laugh because this is a good one. <laughs> all right, so I'm in that. <laughs> I, I'm I need a haircut, so I go to Supercuts, right? Not not Fantastic Sam's. No, and that was probably my first mistake. Yeah. You know? So I, I go uh, to Supercuts. I sit down. You know, I walk in. Got, I, I comb my hair kind of, which is, you know, wild, to say the least. But I combed it, and I part my hair to the left, okay? So the hair goes across my head, over the top, onto the left side. I walk in. She starts cutting my hair. I'm a nice guy, all right? So I, maybe too nice. So I don't say anything, but she starts combing it. She combs it. No, she to the didn't. Right. No, she, she didn't. Combed, she combed it to the right, and, and when she finished the cut, it was combed to the right. Oh. And yeah. And so, you, so you murdered her. So, yeah, well, so I didn't murder her yet. So oh. I, I started screaming to the top of my lungs You can't take my daughter away. You can't take my daughter away. She didn't know what I was talking about. They called the cops, and then uh, here I am. I'm in jail. So yeah, they set my bond at fifteen, fifteen thousand. Well, yeah. join our join our Patreon. We'll be donating that to Brad's bail money. Uh, speaking of which, Megan, thank you for joining our Patreon. We appreciate that. Thank you, Megan. With your uh, contribution, I'll be able to bail out <laughs> by the year 2032. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, dude, uh, oh, this, that's what, this is what I wanted to talk about. Can we talk about, so me and Brad went and saw a movie, and, uh, in the middle of the movie, you know, it's a, it's a packed house, uh, you know, huh. family, you know, it, there's a lot of couples there, is what I noticed, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and in the middle of the movie, during a silent part, you, you just hear, <laughs> uh, 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 like, and somebody, somebody had definitely opened their phone and was watching porn previously at a very loud volume, and it definitely played. Max volume. I would max say max. volume. Max volume. You know, what was funny about it to me was that, um, and I remember it vividly, you know, so they're, they're coming in. In the movie, there's like, you know, it's kind of a scary movie, so... The, the people are like searching. It was the strange. It was the strangers to pray at night. Yeah, and they, they're searching this abandoned. What I what I thought was an abandoned trailer. Um, and and so they open the door, <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and, I, and you you hear the porn. And I thought my first thought was, oh, somebody's in there watching porn. Yeah, because it sounded like a like, surround sound. Yeah, I thought it was in the movie, so it took me completely out of the. So I asked him for my money back. They didn't give it to me, and um, I'm in jail. So, 
Listen, we, we, we need to think of as, as yeah the end of every story is gonna be and uh now i'm in jail so yeah i can't getting arrested so so we were talking about speaking of getting arrested we were talking about uh the lowest form of drug addict there is oh yeah what we're talking lower than a crackhead we're talking worse oh, than okay. worse than people that shoot up crocodile you know uh Worse than people that huff gas? Oh, I mean, I would take a duster addict. Honestly, though, honestly, I think that this is kind of the same level as someone who's like, yeah. We're looking at, if you know somebody who has a problem with duster, this is going to be close to the same as this other addict. We're, Um, we're (laughs) We're talking about weed junkies. All right. Oh yeah. Weed yeah. addicts are the Junkie. fucking worst, dude. Yeah. Well, I will, I will put I will put weed addicts up there with with true blue alcoholics as the, just the shittiest people. Yeah, they're so lazy, dude. <laughs> well, I, I can't remember. Like, I really ranted about them last night. I wish you had been recording that, but like, the reason I know how shitty they are is because that was obvious. It's like. It's like find a real drug, you know? Like it's like they refuse to adapt. Okay, because this is what happens when you smoke weed. All right, you sit in front of the TV and you eat a lot of food and you just you're stupid, okay? Now, but it exp- that's not maintainable. You can't just be stupid all the time. This is America. You got to make moves, baby. But, you it, but it expands my mind, man. It's it's <laughs> opening my third eye, man. No, it expands it into a pancake that you put on a frying pan, and then you put delicious syrup all over it, and you eat it like a fucking weed zombie, dude. It's the stupidest shit. This is you gotta. This is, John is gonna be so pissed about this because he loves weed. He's gonna be so. He's gonna be so. Well, either that or he'll agree. I don't know. It's just fucking. It's the worst, dude. It, like Bo Burnham put it best when he was like, the danger of weed is that it just makes you fine with doing completely nothing. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's why I have no respect for a hophead because at least a crackhead is out there making moves. You know what I'm saying? They're <laughs> right, hot- dude. You can't accuse the crackhead. Ain't no crackhead lazy. Look, it's not a hard life. If you have no job and you sit on the couch and you smoke weed, There's you're not going to build any character doing that. No. All right? No. <laughs> This is what I'm trying to say. Like, if you have to go suck somebody's dick for $20 crack rock, that's some life-changing shit right there. <laughs> now, if you, and after you make it through that experience, you might be able to help somebody. If you sat on the couch for three years and smoked weed, I mean, you, you know, you're just saying, you're just a worse person after that. You just, you, you're just a piece of shit. You're fatter and lazier and, and, and. And you've watched considerably more YouTube. Yeah, you may be, uh, you're definitely a flat earther at this point. Yes. You know? Now you're sure the earth's flat, and you can't trust the system. The system that allows you to hawk, look, because this is why, too, because, like, it's so affordable. So it's like you don't even have to get creative. You just, you, all I have to do is, is gather up, like, $3, and I can get high all day on weed, you know? And then if I, 
if I have like three more, that's like all my meals for the day because mm-hmm. I'll go to Jack in the Box, you know. Well, and it I'll used just... to be. You remember the days when you, when you could? I remember uh, as a as a junkie, I could eat for three bucks. It was a, a McDouble three times a day, and it was literally it was like three twenty six. I think is what it came out to. Right. That shit don't and exist no more. To see, you know why? With with weed, you got it backwards, okay? Because most of your money is going to the food and the, and the munchies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Let me just say, there's a person in my life right now who I'm very close to who, if you pay taxes, I'm just letting you know, and this is a statistical a statistical, a, a fact, statistical okay? fact. I've got the stats right here in front of me, and I don't want to go too long on this, but 90% of all the tax revenue that this country takes in goes towards marijuana smokers <laughs> buying stupid shit with food stamps. Okay, it's a fact. <laughs> I have the statistics. Ninety percent. So everything you That's, pay in taxes—that is a staggering. Nine percent of that is going towards. It's staggering. That is a staggering, ladies and gentlemen. That is staggering. Yes, nine tenths of all your tax money is going towards Twinkies and fucking expensive exotic punches. And just weird shit that like dark chocolates, you know. I don't know. It just ex- fancy shit, you know. <laughs> dark chocolate with ninety-seven percent pure cacao. The pure, the purest of the pure. I'm. Mean, we're talking blood chocolate, that Jed, the kind no. you can get out of Africa. <laughs> blood and- chocolate. <laughs> people, people have died for this chocolate. Yeah. So not only are your taxes going for these chocolates, and we're exquisite, decadent chocolates, bro. Man, we have uh, we've de- derailed on that. I just want to say, I I'm passionate about the subject, you know. So we'll, we can move on. <laughs> let's uh, <laughs> let's get to the interview, and we'll come back for the end of the show, folks. Well, let's... I just want to say, Jed, uh, you're welcome for having me. So. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I uh, so. You're welcome. So I, I, you know, I ask him on, and then I spend the next ten minutes debating uh, my choices, whether yeah. or not it was a good one. Yeah, I took control of that one. We'll be back with the Jet Show after this interview. Oh, you can go. feel left out for no fucking reason at all yeah i hit record yeah. so okay we'll talk about that all right lacroix down your lacroix lacroix it's delicious it's delicious and guilt-free it tastes like the bottom of natty ice like it tastes like a flat natty ice to me oh great 
you just ruined it for me forever. That's exactly <laughs> what it tastes like. Wow. Ouch. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly what it I can't I'm sorry, dude. I gotta speak the truth. Hey man, you gotta do what you gotta do, but Ugh. but that's Ugh. it. Can't do it. You know? Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. Did I really well, just ruin it for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did. I'm I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah, that's that's what it is. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit more like coarse light, but yeah, same like flat beer. Flat shitty beer is what it tastes the like. The end. Yeah. Like yeah. when you drank the all the flavor out, you sucked all the, the flavor out. The ho- the horrible no. half inch, as we used to call yeah. it. Yep. That was that was my nickname in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yes, bro, yes, bravo, bravo. That was good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're here with Mr. Uh Benjamin Croft. How are you, sir? Yeah. Ben Croft. I'm well. Um how are you? I'm good, man. I'm tired. I'm yeah, tired. It's been a long day. Yeah. It really well, it really hasn't. I don't know. All yeah, like you said, all days are long. I don't know. It's like a beautiful day outside. The weather was nice. Um some days I'm just, you know, some days I'm real in it and some days I'm just not. Yep. I was just talking to a guy about half an hour ago about the days that you're in it and how important it is to pack everything into the days when you're in it for the days that you're not in it. That's a really good philosophy. Yeah. And so so we'll get to it, but Ben also works in the social work field, so he's working with people and like handling problems. So it's not—it's kind of like, uh, like a high—it's similar to a high pressure pressure sales job where like you can't re- you can't really have a bad day. No, I you have know to what be I'm on saying? all the time. I I have to be on every single yeah. day. Yeah. And you're yeah, like, and that was the struggle I'd gotten, and I talked to you about was. I, I, I have yet to fully complete my own life. Uh, how do you expect me to complete yours or fix all of your problems? You know, which is a, you know, that's not really my job, but that's what I think sometimes. So, yeah, you know, and one of the things that, uh, that's really cool about it and it is draining and it is exhausting. But one of the things that's really cool about it is it gives me an extra layer of sort of purpose because if I'm not doing absolutely everything I can to make sure that I am my best version of myself on any given day, then the people who it is my professional responsibility to support aren't getting the best support they can get. So yeah, add that for urgency. Of course it's important to like take time when you need it and things like that. But Man, that's a whole nother layer. It's it's got to be comparable to like to parenting on some level, right? Like you got to make is. sure you're providing the best that you can, you know. Um, as somebody who doesn't have children, I mean, I, I that's the best thing I can liken it to, to to somebody that doesn't work in the field because obviously it's not like a parent-child mm-hmm. relationship, but you got to make sure that you're on top of your game because it's, it's for you, it's for somebody else. Yeah, and I'd I'd say well it yeah it's close yeah i'd say it is similar and it's closer for me because they're they're literally children uh that's true so so it's easier but it's almost more like a a mentor guardianship sort of thing but right um, i work i work with adults yeah who are emotionally children um no and some of them are emotionally so much more mature than i am some of them are are you know like hundreds of years older than me too (laughs) So we were gonna. So we're talking about mental health. The the uh, redheaded stepchild of disorders. Super taboo in the 
in the recovery rooms. So yeah, specifically AA, right? Yeah. So and by that we mean well, I'll say what I mean, and then you say what you mean. So like there are people that will the hardline people that will say you're not sober if you're on psychiatric medication. There are people that think that your manic and bipolar symptoms are just the as the book calls them the four horsemen they're just terror bewilderment despair they're just products of your disease of alcoholism that getting sober and working a spiritual program should solve all those things it's it's basically the same as the old like as some evangelicals that like you know you, you should be able to pray away every sort of right yeah you know Absolutely. You know, a lot of times, a lot of times you'll, you'll, you know, somebody, you know, will say something uh, in a meeting or you'll overhear a conversation between two people and, and, you know, they'll be talking about something that I, as, as somebody who works in the mental health field can say, oh yeah, absolutely. Like that is probably a symptom of something that you um, can do a lot to address for yourself. But the AA response I'll hear is like, oh, that's just fear. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Man, <laughs> give no. this guy break like yeah he might be afraid but that's not what this is you know right well and and so i think part of the trickiness comes in because very early sobriety and especially like late stage use and early sobriety you essentially qualify for almost literally every mental disorder there is right you you show <laughs> symptoms for tons and tons and tons so you've got this swath of people it's it's the same as like the the not real alcoholics that get sober easily and then start spreading their brand of sobriety. It's those people that aren't really that don't have a true disorder. They were just circumstantially depressed. They get over it and then they tell you that you should just get the fuck over it. Right. You know, it wasn't hard for me. Why is it so hard for you? Right. Which, yeah, I don't. I don't quite get that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I have lots to say about that, but. My ideas are dangerous, as I've told you before. Well, let's hear them. That's well, right. you know the, you know if it's easy for you, like, and you've got this, like, you know, I don't, I don't mean to to scare anybody out of the rooms, but if it's easy for you and you've got this, like, please go on about your merry way. We're here if you need you. You know, we're here if you need us. Come back if you want to, but you know, I just don't have time for that. Like, I don't have time for somebody that doesn't have empathy or compassion for somebody who's, you know, trying to put their life together for the 10 bajillion time and can't figure out what went wrong. I don't have time for people who, you know, stand in judgment of somebody who is experiencing things that they don't know anything about. You know, like if I come into the rooms and I'm, um, I'm experiencing my experience in, of the world based around, you know, whatever I'm dealing with psychiatrically is different from yours. And you don't show me kindness, patience, and love. Like, get out of here. Get out of here. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it goes against absolutely everything that, um, that the program was founded on. I just don't have time for it. Well, so, well, so then, so let's talk some specifics. So, what is your experience with, with your, uh, I'll let you even label it, whatever you want to label it. My your, mental. Your head stuff. The things going on in your mind grapes. My head stuff? All right. Your head well, stuff. My, uh, you got diagnoses. 
Sure. I mean, that's definitely one way to look at it. The medical model, you know, believes in diagnosis and treatment. So my experience with diagnosis and treatment was from as far back as I can remember, when I was honest with people about what was going on in my head, people got freaked out. <laughs> that's uh, I don't. That doesn't uh, like. Well, when I started telling people, like you know, what talking homicidal? We talking like weird? Not even like if I would describe a situation, people would look at me kind of puzzled because I was just seeing it differently than they did. Um, and so I had to learn relatively early on to try and make my experience uh, and how I was describing my experience match up with what was going on with other people in the room because otherwise I was uh, subject to scrutiny and ridicule and judgment and all that stuff. Um, what that means specifically is, you know, you know, in an emotional state, I might feel that emotional state more acutely. I might feel the impact of, of, of uh, an emotional situation more deeply than somebody else. Uh, I might not have the best control over the emotions that surround whatever's going on. Um, I had long periods of varying um, energy levels, we'll call them. Um, you know, I was up and down and all over the map. You know, I just was not uh, very spiritually centered, emotionally well, mentally well. Um, now, you know, is this pre-drug use? Yeah, I mean, it started for me before I started using drugs. Drug was, drugs were, um, were were the relief from that for me uh, in a lot That's of ways. Cool. It led to much more anguish in that regard later yes. on. But at least initially, like when I was hanging out, you know, messing around with drugs when I was in high school, it was total relief for me, you know. Um, but I still had all this weird psychiatric stuff going on. You know, call it whatever you want. You know, I can liken what I was experiencing back then very easily with clinical diagnoses. Now I well, don't. So well, what was what the diagnosis wouldn't have changed what I could have done about it. You know, uh, what do you mean? Well, well, well first, so what was your diagnosis? Hmm. That's a good question. So <laughs> at that time, so I don't really share diagnoses cause I believe in them only to a certain extent. I believe in them from the standpoint of if, if you identify with a clinical diagnosis and it gives you relief to know that what you're dealing with is like a clinically studied thing that has had, that has been successfully treated for other people in the past, like by all means, like grab onto that diagnosis, hold onto it, figure out what you need to do to address it and, and love it for what it is. Right. But if it's not something you identify with, carrying a diagnosis can be like a super um, marginalizing, uh, you know, derogatory thing. Like you can really feel, you know, the impact of a diagnosis that you don't agree with. Like I watch it in people all the time. Like I, I work with people all the time who carry diagnoses that they don't agree with. And that is a terrible, terrible label to live under. Well, do you – so are you – Okay, so let me try to wrap around this. So, if somebody, are you saying that di that diagnoses don't exist, or that they're like, are there true diagnoses? Are there true conditions? Uh, yes or what did you think? Well, sure. From the standpoint of, um, well, I guess there are like, lots of people who experience the thing, same sort of things right now around the way their brain functions chemically like that's that's a real thing and so 
can I object? Are you? Can I not objectively say that somebody has that, or are you just saying that you can, but I don't have to agree? And does that make it not true then? That's more what I'm saying, and no, it doesn't make it not true. What okay. I'm saying okay. is that it should really be left up to a person, you know, whether they identify with the diagnosis, whether they disclose that diagnosis, whether they um, seek traditional medical clinical treatment for that diagnosis, or they come up with their, their own way of figuring out a way of life that works for them, you know? Okay. Yeah, and okay. so yeah. you asked me, you know, back a minute ago about, you know, what was my diagnosis? At that time, what I was experiencing was I was really uncomfortable in my own skin. I was really uncomfortable in social situations. I had really super disrupted sleep. I had all sorts of trouble around sleep. Uh, my energy levels were all over the map. And, um, and I experienced, uh, I really thought that um, the world was out to get me from a certain standpoint. I don't mean that in the sense that there were going to be guys kicking in my door um, or more like a, the deck is stacked against me sort of thing. The deck was stacked against me and any little mistake that I made was going to be scrutinized and I was living life under a microscope. Right. So what did the, now what did the doctors call that? Cause I think that's, I kind of want to get that parallel of, cause I'm, I'm going to say what the doctors say I have and like describe. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I didn't seek any sort of psychiatric treatment until I was an adult. So oh, the doctor damn. didn't anything to say about that cause I didn't ask. What kind of culture did you, what was, how was mental health, how was depression treated in the culture you grew up with in the family? Um, well, mental health in general was, um, something that wasn't talked about. Um, gotcha. you know, that, that's common across, you know, all sorts of communities. You know, if it's a problem, you keep it, you know, you, you keep it in the family and if it's, uh, you know, or in the community, depending on, on what, what, what culture you come from, but. You know, the, the, the idea was that, um, you know, when I, w when I was feeling bad and I told people what kind of bad I was feeling, um, they got kind of freaked out. So I learned mm. really early on not to, not to talk about it and just sort of experience it and trying to figure, try and figure it out on my own, which I eventually did through the magic of drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which one could argue is what a doctor would have done. Probably true. Um, my first experience with psychiatric medication though, was before I ever got any sort of psychiatric treatment, I was prescribed, um, various ADD medications, uh, at probably about 16 or 17 years old. So I did, I received psychiatric medication without any psychiatric treatment for wait, like you, you oh, okay. So they said you had ADD. Mm -hmm. Yep. That was prescribed, I think for the primary care. That's a funny one. That's yeah. a funny one. This, that, and yeah, I, I want, I'm gonna get on a an anxiety rant in a little bit, but I'll save okay. that. Cool. So my yeah, so mine started r really early. Um, I was extremely uh, empathetic, right? Like I really took on other people's feelings and emotions and intensities, mm -hmm. like. Um, like when characters in TV shows would die, I would mourn for like days, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and it like r like real deal was fucking affected me. Like I anyway, um, and I think I like I think 
um, which I know is common now. Like, I think I hit my mom when I was a kid. I had, like, rage issues. Like, mm-hmm. I was extremely sensitive, and then I would I had real trouble. When I got frustrated, I would just lash out. And I think sure. that's when I started seeing a psychiatrist. Um, don't really remember what happened there. I don't think much. It was just, like, draw your feelings sort of child psychiatry. Sure. Um, then I developed my uh, tick my nervous tick, which is where I, I don't think you ever saw it. Um, but it was all facial ticks and, um, I would make, I would like do that all the time. Like sniff. Oh, I, I used to have one of those ticks, but that was much later in life. And that was for yeah. another week. This, this was in fucking sixth grade. So, and I, I had moved and like, I got made fun of so hardcore, which would in turn make it worse. Cause then it was super anxiety based. Right. Yep. Um, but they thought I had, well, I got sent to one doctor that thought it was Tourette's. And so he put me on like Risperidol, which is like a pretty hardcore ass antipsychotic when I was 11. Right. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then I think what also really screwed me up was I tried to get high off of my, like when I started, I started using shortly after that and, um, started looking in the medicine cabinets and I was like, well, well I'll take this. And I took a, ass load of my Risperidol and that just you know yeah, me so- <laughs> yeah nothing good nothing good happened there um yeah not for an 11 year old no no dude so who knows what happened there um and then I started a long so I definitely was self-medicating at first um it's the only th- my brain is constantly moving I would have really intrusive thoughts of and I still do of uh, like inappropriate sexual things that I'm not, um, they're, what are they, um, there's some philosopher calls it something's imp. Anyway, it's, uh, intrusive, violent, disturbing thoughts that I do not have control over and I do not like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't really talk about it without, it was just extreme shame and that fed the, fed the guilt. Mm, the same. Perfect, yeah. The perfect storm for, for a drug addiction. Um, and then I just started getting put getting put on medicine that I would take for three weeks and then stop and then take ecstasy. And then, you know, so it's just like doing some serious work on my brain. Um, Absolutely. That's actually funny, the, the piece about the the characters in the TV shows. I know somebody else that I, that um, that was that's one of the ways they identified when they first started noticing that their mental health was different from the people around them. I had a weird thing. I was really, um, God, this is funny to think about cause I haven't thought about it in a while, but I was, um, I was terrified of environmental toxins <laughs> and I, I used to spit all the time. And when I couldn't spit, I would, um, I would store saliva in my mouth until I could spit. And sometimes like teachers would call on me and I couldn't answer cause I just had a mouthful of spit cause I was sure that I was getting poisoned so wow that's a that's an interesting one yeah and that another i was also very concerned um about this is it's so weird and fucking specific so i never there was never any financial insecurity in my home growing up whatsoever but i became extremely concerned with my favorite actors and comic book artists livelihood so if like mark hamill after Star Wars, and I'm talking, I'm like seven, dude, six or seven. When I didn't see him in any more movies, I'm like, is he okay? Like, is he, is he right? okay financially? Like, does he? Why isn't he getting money? Like, um, 
And then my other big one was that my parents used to have to bribe me to sleep over because I somehow I developed this intense worry that uh, my parents were going to die. I was yeah. real death obsessed. Anytime I was away from them, I thought they were going to die. And uh, same with my grandparents. So they now, strange things. In all my experiences and talking to just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who've experienced like similar, um, you know, sort of like early childhood um, type. I don't know, neuroses, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, the way that I look at that period of my life is um, I really didn't know how to how to manage life, you know, and I didn't know how to deal with the feelings that I was feeling. And so I found a lot of other things to focus on, um, mm. you know, and for me, that makes as much logical sense as any diagnosis you could pin on it, you know. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. But that's all hindsight and it's 2020, I suppose. Well, and – uh, I guess it's a, so. So I definitely there was some anxiety, something there, right? Um, that that is one that lately is such a buzzword, and benzodiazepines are so widely prescribed. I'm talking your your Xanax and your Valium, um, that's where like the uh the tennis wife stereotype thing, the rich pilled up. Sure. Uh, Los Angeles wife thing. Um, and it's, it's always bothered me. Like th this is, this is where, this is how mental health is also just getting really misrepresented is the people that are just like, Oh, I, like, and I'm, I'm obviously using a very specific female ditzy voice, but you get my, you get my thing. Like, <laughs> I'm so neurotic. Isn't that crazy? Like, Oh my, my, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Like they'll yeah, use their, this made up diagnosis as an attention getting thing. That's the craziest thing. The way that clinical language has exploded into the yes, vernacular last five years is wild. And it totally marginalizes anybody who might be experiencing like actual psychiatric symptoms. So like if I'm watching a TV show and somebody gets a B on a test instead of an A that they wanted and they talk about how depressed they are, that right. totally invalidates the month I just spent in bed. Yeah, and <laughs> I worked with with young young people, and they and, and I'm not trying to. I'm really not trying to invalidate someone else's feelings, but I just <laughs> I know when they're like, "Oh my God, my anxiety! I'm about to have a panic attack." And meanwhile, like thinking of the true, and it sounds so elitist, but like the shit, I, you, you think you're that? doing though. It's funny because you're I doing, am doing it. Yeah. I do it too. But what you're doing there is you're doing exactly what you didn't love when people did it to you. The, I'll give you something to cry about, you know? Like, yeah, dude. Well, what is that? Yeah. What is that about? I guess it's, it feels invalidating is what it yeah. does. Yeah, when you have really experienced, you know, really deep and dark places or, you know, around some of this stuff and somebody bring, you know, brings it up lightly or makes a joke about it or, you know, talks about a, a much less, a much more surface level uh, version of what you've experienced, it feels very invalidating. Did There's you just therapist me? I think you just, you just therapist me. But I'm not a therapist. I do no clinical work at all. Well, I, I do clinical work. I, I believe in clinical work if it's the path that somebody chooses, but I do not do clinical work. Zero. Well, you know, that was a throwaway joke that you just explained away, so thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. There's no, hu there's no humor in life.
Yeah, exactly. Life is yeah. pain. I'll give you something to laugh about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I did. I that's that really grinds my gears. Um, yeah. So then, so this is the other period that I went through was, and I am obviously the the show that splits his time about Christianity. Shocker, I am a Christian. Um, so I did go through the period of like, okay, maybe this can be, you know, uh, it's spiritual attack. It's um, demonic oppression. It is things that can be defeated by prayer, faith, whatever. Which I do, I do believe that God, if he so chooses, can remove these things from people. Sure, I've just met people. It's, you know, does it happen? Absolutely. Uh, did it happen to me? I No, it doesn't appear so. Um, no, you're still very much possessed. Yes, dude. <laughs> I can actually, I can see you changing into a lizard person. Yeah. Did you hear Billy Corgan talk about how he witnessed that? No, I would love to, though. It's, a, yeah. He's, like, real freaked out about it. It's pretty, yeah, it's funny. He's he's an interesting guy. He is, well, dude. Yeah, so, so it sounds like we've had some similar experiences around, you know, and, and so so the spirituality piece, the, the Christianity piece for you, didn't solve the problem. Um, did drugs temporarily so no i mean i guess that's a if if that's a no then that's a no um when you stopped using drugs did they did did everything come rushing back or did it and then some yeah well and and you know and what's funny is that so you know so uh psilocybin mushrooms ketamine uh mdma are all being touted as these new mir- miracle cures for depression. So maybe there, you know, some, especially with hallucinogens, there may have been some beneficial rewiring going on there. Um, but then of course, whatever benefit I did, I just smashed that into the ground with a good old crack cocaine crystal meth shot or something. So I had experience with, uh, you know, we're not talking about drug use. I guess we're talking more about mental health here. But I had experience experiences with um, with mushrooms where um, that was like uh, eating mushrooms was the only time I, I remembered to be happy because I was so mm-hmm. miserable all the time. And so it was like, yeah, it was like sort of a, a rewiring, uh, just like you know, punch in the brain. Like, but be happy for a minute. Like, check this out. Yeah, like, we're just gonna reshuffle things and. And uh, you can actually remember for one second what it feels like to be happy. That was a weird thing. Which is which is what the you know the new studies coming out are basically that's like what they're kind of saying is it like it like reteaches the brain how to uh, either like bridge new highways of neural pathways or mm-hmm. repair old ones. So that's uh-huh. the other thing too. So do you believe in the? Uh, well, this is funny too. Do you so do you? Do you believe in the chemical piece of it? Because what always, what astounded me when I found out was that we don't even know how these antidepressants work, which I was like, that's what, really? Like, they Oh, yeah, s- that's, that's really true. There's no evidence to, to actually show that depression is caused by a lack or a deficit yeah. of serotonin. That's, that's a theory, which I had never been told that, like. Yeah, that's a wild uh, thing. You know, I mean, I think if you ask the average everyday person just walking down the street, they would be, you know, what is depression? Oh, that's when you don't have enough serotonin. All right, bye. You know, yeah, like yeah, serotonin, oh. dopamine. Yeah, you know, because everybody's seen the commercials since they were eight years old, and that's why clinical language is so 
is so heavy and, and, uh, in the front of people's mouths when they're speaking because they, you know, we live in a clinical society, but, um, but it's true. Like, you know, a lot of it is that, and that's what makes it so important to figure out what fits for you rather than buy into what somebody else is telling you you need to do. You know, that's what makes it so important. So like, if you believe that your depression that you're experiencing is as a direct result of a lack of serotonin, and you try an SSRI and your depression doesn't get any better. What is it? Yeah. Is it still even depression? Uh, oh, yeah, skip. I don't know. Well, it, and this is so I, I've the yeah, y'all know, I think I brought up this conundrum a bunch of times is so I finally found um, a medicine cocktail that worked. Um, I'm on Pristique and Wellbutrin, and I have been for the, the entire uh, three and a half years I've been sober. And so at this point, though, I I wonder what life would be like off of it, and do I need it anymore? And I'm having all those questions. Sure. But it's going to be this ordeal to get off of it, and it's you know risky, and you know if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But absolutely, I guess that's just the choice I've got to make. Well, I think it's like everything else in life, right? You, I mean, you have to, you have to try it to figure out and see. You know, it's just like, well, you know, it, whatever pathway you took to get sober, man, it was trying it out and and seeing what bit. But the potential risk being like suicide. Of course. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's it's like anything else in life except like you might die. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, that's true. Bummer. Um, but you know, not real. I mean, that's why I just properly prepare myself and. You know, I'll tell you this. I'll get a little bit into um, into the, the depth of uh, psychiatric symptoms for me. You know, I found myself in a place where, um, you know, I, I was as low as I really can imagine people get. You know, if people get lower, they're probably not alive because they can't. Because you know what I mean? Just like I, I don't know how much more I could could have taken, and I still experience you know feelings like that uh, and intrusive thoughts as a clinical. Uh, a professional might might tell me I'm experiencing like I have random hit you over the head with a two by four negative you know maybe I should just hang it up thoughts that come out of nowhere mm-hmm. I'll be driving to work good song on the radio bright sunny day two by four but you know I, I figured out how to just experience them and let them pass um and I don't take any psychiatric medication today. That's what fits for me. I do a lot of other stuff. I do a lot of other work on my mind, but I don't take yeah. any medication. See, and I think that's why, because I do take medication, and still, I'd say six days out of out of every month are that. So it's yeah. like, you know, so is, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's true that... Um, you know, a lot of people find relief and, and there was a long period of time in my life where I found relief in it. Um, but I just stayed open to the idea that, um, you know, what works for me today might not work for me six months from now and tried to, mm, you good. know, tried to always stay open to, to making changes if I, if I felt like something needed adjustment. And eventually at the end of that road, that's, that's where I am now. I'm, that's not even to say that six months from now I won't be on, you know, a cocktail of a couple of psychiatric medications. Um, but it's been, it's been a long time. I don't see it, but no, go ahead. 
I mean, there's some, there, there is, uh, I could wake up tomorrow and be dealing with some stuff that, um, that breathing and meditation and exercise and keeping a good diet can't touch. And at that point I would probably look for some more clinical support. Right. And, Oh God, that was loud. Um, and especially the, I think the underused approach, and I say that with absolutely no empirical data to back up, uh, (laughs) (laughs) is the, uh, the short term method of like, you know, like the, the six month, uh, the cast, the crutch yeah. of like, you and just that, need a- all. That's what a lot of those, um, specifically SSRIs were, were designed to be a one to two year cast in that, in that sense where like you take it and you develop different habits and behaviors around the, the support of the medication. And then you take the medication away and hopefully, you know, the pathways and, the and the, um, symptoms that you were experiencing have, have healed and gone away. Yeah. I think so. But I think people have been on, you know, drugs that were intended for a one to two year run for 10 years, you know? Uh, yeah. I, They're I think, okay. It works for them. So it's, you know, I can't judge that. It's just not what they were originally intended for. That's off label as far as I'm concerned. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think this conversation has convinced me that I, yeah, I, my next appointment, I'm going to tell them that let's, let's pull it. I've been telling them for a year and a half that like the next time, we're going to, we're going to start getting off. Um, but I well, didn't, what made sense for me was, um, you know, having that conversation and, and then really being proactive in planning what I, what I needed to do to make sure that it was going to be, um, as smooth and, and problem free as it could be. Um, which for me looked like really coming up with some specific plans. Like what are the things that I notice that start to change when I'm feeling this way? And what are the things that I notice that start to change when I'm feeling that way and to have plans to address them. And if those plans to address them didn't work to say, okay, well plan B as I'll tr- I'll go back on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is, is, yeah. And that's, that's funny. That's essentially what he said. He was like, I mean, worst case scenario, you go back on. Right. You already know it. it. It's it's at least you know it at least gives you a quality of life that you enjoy. Yeah, I still have that um, plan. Hey, that's still, that's a little part of my life. You know? Yeah. But and so that what's and this this is like an endless debate and is am I not living up to like who I was made to be? Like, is that part, you know what I'm saying? Like, was I made to struggle like this? And like, am I just, you know, but I mean, that argument is like, well, then people, why do people have glasses? Are they made to be? Of course. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's all sorts of things to consider in that question. I totally get that question. I've asked myself that question a million times, but there's so many things to consider, you know, in terms of like the people that I support in my life and my, um, you know, my community, uh, the people who I support, myself, my family, everybody else who um, has to deal with me on a daily basis, like I should consider them when I'm making drastic changes in my life. That's, yeah, because just because it's going sideways for me, it does not mean that it's only going sideways for me. When things go sideways for me, it goes sideways for anybody in my life. You have experienced this personally. I have. That's a true story. And vice versa. <laughs> Yeah, and I've got a wife too. Yes, yeah, exactly. So it's it's it. Yeah, man, it's a it's 
I at the end of the day, it is one of those things where it's like, um, seek wise counsel, ask God, you know, and make wise decisions. And and so and that's the other thing. And I will say to people, you know, uh, to y'all listening, you know, the thing that they seem to neglect to tell you is never abruptly stop taking a psychiatric medication. Never ever do that. Um, and don't be afraid um to ask questions of your doctor that's the other thing too i mean i think the easiest way to put it and how i put it to people that start to ask me these questions you know everywhere in my personal my professional life is um you know just take an active role in your recovery whether it's from substance use or mental health recovery whatever it is like take an active role like get involved ask questions, find the support you need, you know, figure out, uh, behaviors and habits that work for you and fit for you. Like get active, like Google, clinical- Google rare diseases and disorders and convince yourself you have them. Oh, that's a good one. I've, yeah. I still have some of that environmental stuff that goes all the way back to my childhood. Last year I moved into a new apartment and I was convinced that, um, I was being poisoned by CO2. Um, and I was like checking WebMD and all this stuff for like what? That's so fu- what? Ah, oh, that's funny, man. I'm gonna try to diagnose you later. But I rolled with it. That's when interesting. Is, is that I have people in my life who I bounce stuff off of, and um, <laughs> no. I was I was like telling people, and they were looking at me like, yeah, no, that definitely sounds like something you should look into. And they let me, they let me explore. Really? They let me explore it to a place where I figured out on my own Dude. that that's not what was actually. <laughs> Nobody said, no way, stop. And a month later, like I came back to all these people and was like, how did you let me get that crazy? And they were like, you had to figure it out for yourself. And that is this huge lesson that I've learned in, in mental health. Like, you know, all they did was support me through it. Like they didn't tell me what to do. They didn't tell me I was crazy. They didn't tell me I was wrong. They, they, they listened to me and they made me feel supported. And I was completely convinced that I was right. But when it turned out I was wrong, you know, they were right there to go, oh man, amazing that you figured it out on your own. You can probably do that next time something wild happens, you know? And I was like, oh shit. Oh, nice. Interesting. Yeah. And so also it is important to note that I would, and I don't know if you agree, but I would definitely say that like there's a, a difference in what we're talking about and like severe schizoaffective disorders where like you are talking to people and like, you know, they're like, I don't know. Do you disagree? I do. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, then lay that on me. <clears throat> so what do you think that stuff is? Well, let me tell you. I'll tell you something that happened today was um, I run a, a drop-in center uh, for people who are looking for mental health recovery. It's adults who are looking for mental health recovery, totally voluntary. Come. We run groups all day. You know, Come be as much or as little a part of our community as you want. And uh, we we're having a group today, and we were talking about you know, whether we share a diagnosis and what the label sort of means and things like that. And somebody mentioned that they had been diagnosed schizoaffective. And like eight other people in the room were like, yeah, me too. Now, I know all eight of these people individually as the people who they are, and I've known them for a while now. And I wouldn't hang that label or think anything of what schizoaffective disorder is characterized as about any of them. Okay, and that was in that was just a wild moment of clarity for me. I was like, "Oh, hmm. 
you know, actually it turns out that they're just people and this diagnosis has been hung on them and they have figured out ways to support themselves. Like, holy heck. That's well, but you, five years ago, somebody was schizophrenic. I would have listed 18 symptoms. But you know of which I speak. Like, you sure. know, like I, the people that there's like, there's something there. It's not like that it demands like. 24 hour care attention like there's there's a fuse blown type of thing well i i know what you mean uh but i i know and talk like, to people who have that fuse blown every single day you and like brain damage patients patients oh okay so that's sort of a different well, i guess thing. that's different okay yeah. yeah um you know developmental impairment is a little bit different as well um, sometimes they sort of, you know, um, overlap each other, but, um, people who are dealing with psychiatric symptoms, like they're just experiencing the world differently than I am. So what I try and do is I try and, oh man, that's okay. So what I try and do and, and what, uh, has been really helpful when people have done it for me is listen to them and try and get the best understanding of the way that they're experiencing the world mm. so that I can be of the most support to them. That's it. That's all I try and do. So, and it's, see, when you look at somebody who has been in the mental health care system for, you know, 10, 20, 30, sometimes 40 years, when they've been told over and over again, you're crazy, you're unsafe, you're risky, you're scary, you're scaring me, why are you yelling, all of this stuff, and instead just turn and try and understand where they're coming from, and like everything changes. Hmm. But all of a sudden, they feel safe enough to explore for themselves what might be helpful to them instead of fighting against all of these things that people have told them are going to help. So it's almost like snuffing out individuality because you don't conform to a certain societal norm type of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the same idea. It's the, that's an open question, but definitely. Yeah. Uh, And the result of that. Incredible. Incredible. I see people grow so much more every single day when, they simply feel supported in taking charge of their own life versus being told what to do and receiving treatment around what's what I think is a problem. So somebody who has schizoaffective disorder, right? That that's somebody else saying that you see the world the wrong way. And and what's what's funny to note is that like that used to be called schizophrenic, which so it's like all every all the two different diagnoses. Are they? I thought they'd turn. Well, okay. Well, the the broader point I'm making is. Sorry. Uh, even. Oh, I fucking hate you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, how like the the DSM, the diagnostical, st- diagnostic statistical manual, mm-hmm. the names for all these change like every couple of years. So it's like they yeah. So there isn't even like hard and fast rules in psychiatry. Like it's just constantly changing. Right. So, yeah, maybe one. <clears throat> Schizoaffective specifically refers to somebody who's experiencing um, symptoms related to schizophrenia, you know, paranoia, um, you know, maybe it's audio, vis- visual hallucinations, things like that. And also, they have the affective piece, which is, you know, maybe they're experiencing anxiety or symptoms of depression. Mm-hmm. So, it's somebody who has both things going on simultaneously. I personally can't imagine experiencing um, 
schiz- symptoms of schizophrenia and not being a little stressed out. So, cover, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, okay. I mean? like yeah, if I'm funny. telling you that I'm seeing something and you're not seeing it, that would stress me out big time. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. If I spent my entire life trying to convince you something I know is real is real, that would suck. <sighs> yeah, big. that's true. Hmm. Yeah. So if and you, if, the fact that I see the world differently from you all the time. Think of the pressure. That is true, man. Think about when you didn't want to talk, when you were a, a young guy and you were experiencing some of these things and you didn't want to talk about it, you know? Yeah, it sucked. It's it's alienating. It's infuriating. It's everything. Yeah, it's the worst. And now imagine that every single time you do, you get hospitalized. Yes. Well, that's what, yes, that's the other thing is that I didn't even get to being committed, which has happened to me. That's where you learn to shut up, dude. You learn, which is horrible. You can't. Yeah, dude, it's it's rough. Oh, the stress of that, not being able to talk about it, but man, not, but also like being you know, chastised and judged for not talking, and oh, it's the worst. It's yeah, dude. It's a it's a torturous cycle, and it's like, yeah, it's rough. So and then, you, and then, oftentimes we wonder like why people of like thirty or forty years old don't have like a ton of really. Um, really excellent social skills. It's because they're spending all of their time trying to avoid having to talk to, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, all this stuff. But but what you do and what you can do in your work, because I know that you do, you know, I'm sure that you deal with people who experience psychiatric symptoms on a regular basis. What you can do is listen, you know, that support, you know, and help somebody learn for themselves what works for them. And I don't know. Yeah, these are dangerous ideas. In in clinical terms, all of this stuff is just risk, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because we live in a, a litigation society of lawsuits. And I mean, that's partially the reason. But anyway, so what would you what's some closing some closing thoughts for the people that you would like to leave them with? Um, that I, person you see is there. Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> he is definitely there. He is definitely dangerous. No, just the, I mean, it's an age old thing, man, just treating people with kindness and respect, whether you understand what's going on with them or not, you know, not trying to ask people to conform to a mold that, you know, I don't know the, the, the mold that, um, you know, I would like to fit into has changed so drastically over my life. Why, why would I tell somebody they got to be like this or what, you know, they got to be like that, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Good you heard stuff, any man. jokes lately, dude? Huh? Heard any good jokes lately? Um, what was it? Uh, I can't remember how it goes. It was like a fuck. I'm gonna screw it up. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. Something about like so a rope goes into a bar and asks the bartender like, "Hey, have you seen any string laying around or hanging around?" And the bartender goes. Nope, I'm afraid not. Oh yeah, I got it. It's kind of weak. Yeah, I, I think, think I mean I screwed yeah, it all can, up. You can work on it. It's funny. It's not funny. Very funny. Ha ha. But so that I do have one closing thing is that um, you know, I'm an active member of AA, and I don't talk about any of this stuff in there because it's we still don't live in a world where it's okay to talk about it, and if clinical language is going to be so prevalent in our society we should actually start to understand other people's experience or it's actually mean for them did i freeze 
Yeah, you froze for a second. Are you there? Which is hilarious. You're like, one final thing. I'm really bad. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. That's actually, that's actually perfect. Sweet. Okay. It's good to talk to you, man. Always. Because I'm looking in the mirror, and my hair is parted to the wrong side, and I don't know if I should, you know, if I should just go with her vision and and trust her and and continue to part it to the right and feel like I'm living a lie every day of my life, which is, you know, just really going to compound things. It's going to make the issue worse. Because anyway, or, okay, do do I push it? To the left, and I say, screw, screw the system, and I push it to the left back the way it should go. But I have a haircut that is made. <laughs> What's the point of getting your haircut, Jay? <laughs> they cut it so it goes to the right, and now I want to push it back to the left. Now I just need another haircut, Jay. I just paid twenty dollars. Well, there you. Oh wow, that's how much you paid too. I tipped her, Jay. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm such a nice guy. That when they screw it up, I didn't say anything, okay? No, I didn't say it. And don't you, you know, I want to say this as politely as possible. Don't you have limited hair to be frugal with, or to be, to to mess with, right? Correct? You need to be frugal with the hair that you have. Yeah. It it ain't like you're walking around here with this, with this, you know, Russian surplus of hair. No, it's, the thing is, yeah, it's not like there's a lot that can, each clip, Jed, I mean, you can count them. There's probably a haircut for me. It's probably like, it's, it's 20 to 30 snips, baby. Snip, <laughs> snip, snip. It's 20 to 30. You start getting into the 35, 40 range, it's, it's going to start looking real shady. Why don't you just, she, when, when are you going to just buzz it? When's, when's that happening? Honestly, Jed, I'm glad you asked this question. Because I want to reveal, I want to take this platform to reveal to the world that I think the uh, famous 2018 right part debacle is going to end in me just shaving it, dude. No, for real. That's I that's like that's committing. I can't do it, Jed. I just can't walk into the workplace, and I just can't bear the looks that I know I'm going to receive from my coworkers and the guests. Okay, because people. They're not going to know what's wrong, okay? But they're going to think it's going to be because they're not that observant. Because they're all hopheads. 
these hop heads. They don't know what the frick's going Wait, on. What is a hop head again? A hop head is a weed junkie. Oh, okay. Is that a real like? Is that a real uh, pejorative for weed junkie? Yeah, I think so. You think that'd be an, an alcoholic though, like hops? No, because uh, hops and uh, marijuana are like in the same like oh yeah genus. Yeah, something like that. You know, I'm not too big on the biology and genetics, but they're, like, closely related enough to where, like, you could, like, use hop roots to grow marijuana trees and use, uh, you know, and vice versa. You know what I mean? Huh. Well. So, they, yeah, they're hop heads. They're... Hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to shave it anyway. We're all so rudely interrupted I with need... your... Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Like, yeah. I really need so. to see that though. This is this, this will be a big deal. Um You gonna shave it for me? I would love to, actually. I would love to. Okay. Alright. Well maybe we can put that on the uh, bonus content. We could have a I would actually know, we... like to see that. Um yeah. so of course, you know, of course me and Brad are kidding. We love weed. We are currently high. Um I well, I mean, I wouldn't like it so much if it didn't cure and treat you know, every ailment. <laughs> do you know how many this this does fucking piss me off? It's so stupid, and like I get it because I've done the same things of just like regurgitating internet knowledge. But like the kids at at my work, they'll be like, "Oh, no!" Like I literally heard the other day, like pot cures cancer like period blank end of story like it just cures cancer and i was like oh d- does it now like oh wow like call the presses weed it, cures cancer it's not so bad then why does it make me feel so <laughs> <laughs> check in mate yeah yeah mr counselor man see the worst thing dude this is oh i'm gonna now that we're back on pot i'm so happy because I love to hate on these guys. When you got three potheads arguing with you as a sober, sane person, it's the worst, dude. Because, you know, as a counselor, I'm sure you get this every day. But you at least have some authority, you know. But you got you got the guy, you know, they, like, he, he cures cancer, man. And I'm like, uh, actually, I think the facts would say that it doesn't. No, bro. Okay. My mom died of cancer and the only thing that made it better for her yeah was marijuana that we smoked together and then like three other people were just staring at me with like mean looks you know and so, <laughs> so i have to back off you know because um <clears throat> yeah you gotta be cool yeah i think that that we should get off the pot thing because I just want to get high right now, you know. Just, uh... <laughs> I just found I... out. So I'm gonna do a quick today. I learned. Um, so you remember that '70s show? Mm-hmm. You remember um, Eric's sister Laura? The is she like dated Kelso? She was like the blonde. She was older. Oh yeah. Uh, she in real life had a uh, alcohol and drug problem and overdosed and died in rehab. Oh, snap. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it really does. So, yeah, <laughs> cheer I, huh? I don't understand how that's your thought for the day, Jed. That's like <laughs> a... 
I re- really it was just interesting to me. Uh, well, this is, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Did you know? Did you know that rabbits? Uh, yeah. That female hares can conceive a second litter of offspring while still pregnant with the first through a phenomenon called super fetation. Fetation? Fetation? Super fetation. Super fetation? That word. Super. What? So they can have the babies while they they're can, still pregnant? They can, they, they, they'll be pregnant and they can get pregnant with a separate litter. While they're they, pregnant with the first litter, they can get they can get mo pregnant. They can get mo babies, mo pregnated, Crazy. super pregnant. <laughs> That's nice. We keep going. I like these. These are good. Um, yeah. Let's see. Do, do, do. Huh. <clears throat> uh, Greek yogurt. You know, you think it comes from Greece? You yeah, think? I mean, I trust. I trust the marketing. Well, Greek yogurt is just regular yogurt that's been strained, and the byproduct can be so toxic that it kills fish. Tight. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got one. Okay. What? Moldy cake cures colds. Believe that. Okay, because I've oh, tested that... <laughs> Is that when you got sick and you ate this cake and it was all moldy and you got better? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. Believe that. Oh, and then man. I got much sicker afterwards, but that was unrelated. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next. You go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna. Um, you're gonna stop internet effects, and I'm gonna stop like. Oh, what? My, okay. Oh. The, the, there's a town in Norway where it's illegal to die. So people getting close to death are taken off the island and live the rest of their days on the mainland. Oh man! They're like, no, 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 no. That death, you gonna you gonna take that shit out of here. We ain't we ain't we ain't getting brought down by your mortality. Yeah, dude. That's I respect that. I do. That's legit. Boundaries, right? Boundaries, clear cut <laughs> boundaries. Be dying in here, dude. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's like overdose rules. Like, uh, uh-uh. uh, <laughs> you got to go yeah. out on the street, son. Yeah, yeah. When somebody overdoses, you you just throw them out the car. Yeah. You, no matter how fast you're going, you know. And if you're not in the car, just throw them out of whatever window or door is closest to them at that time. And then just blame it on a hophead. Right. I mean, <laughs> when the cops come. And they knock on your door. Say you smelled patchouli and skunks. Like somebody had burned a skunk with patchouli leaves or something. I think they call that that loud these days. It's called that loud. Yeah. And, you know, back to hopheads again. So anytime I can smell the loudness, because I work as a, as a server. Do, do you say turn that shit down? Well, I just, I can see it in their eyes, and I I just, I guess, it's like, sometimes I have to remind myself, okay, just be cool, weed smokers, but they never tip, they don't tip, because they're, they need that money for more weed, you know, it's like, what are you doing here, you Mm -hmm. know, that's why I don't respect the drug, because you 
the food cost is higher than the drug cost yet. Yeah, something's wrong there. There's a disconnect. Yeah, that's that's a problem, dude. And you're not making moves, Jed. You're not hustling. You're not I need moves. I need you to make I moves. Need, yeah, because if you sit on the couch, there's no there's no adversity. Like you, you can literally be addicted to weed all your life and never work, and or or maybe work like a really low. It, it just can allow you to like. It's just honestly, I think I, it makes me mad because like they don't think they have a problem. They'll met, and then you can go so so long. It's so maintainable, and yeah. you just live. You know, you just live in like, just like, bad conditions for really long periods of time with no growth. And you that's know, that's what you did for the fucking longest. Yeah, I mean, that's what I did. You know, for a long uh, time. Oh yeah, I did that for like ten years. Yeah, but I was at least getting into. The more serious. Yeah, then then you wised up and started shooting dope. Yeah, I mean, if I'm gonna be living underneath a bridge, I might as well be banging straight dope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, I know. That, well, I so now we're leaving. So, <laughs> uh, send us an email. You know, you know, if you if you like this episode or you didn't, you know, thanks. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, church and other drugs at gmail.com we'll see you next week y'all hey guys just wanted to let you know that this is uh the new outro song from chris brown my good not the rihanna chris brown uh my friend chris brown the guy who made the old outro song he sent me a new one I love it, and people keep asking me, so I forget that you might not know. I also started a Church and Other Drugs Spotify uh, playlist where I put every song that I put in the episodes, I'll add it to the playlist, so just search uh, Church and Other Drugs on Spotify and um, shoot me an email or message, and I'll give you Chris's uh, SoundCloud. Go support him. He's good. Check it out.